Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Straight out of Austin, Texas, it's On Second Thought, powered by Hook'em.com, with your hosts, statesman sports columnists, Cedric Golden and Kirk Bowles. Often imitated, never duplicated. Hear it here first on Second Thought. On Second Thought, episode 203, brought to you by Hook'em.com. Our good friends at Bud Light. I'm Cedric Golden, and I'm joined by my guy, the Duck, Kirk Bowles. And Duck, a very special podcast this week. We're going to pay tribute to coaching legend Fred Akers of the University of Texas, who passed away on Monday. We're going to be joined by some real cool guys. Tony DeGrate, Robert Brewer, and Lawrence Sampleton. Just going to be a fun show. But before we get to that, brother, is there going to be a football game on Mm -hmm. Thursday, Kansas, Texas? And if so, will the coach be a – will Tom Herman walk onto the field as the present and future coach of the horns, or will he waddle out onto the field as a lame duck? No offense to you. There's a lot of meat on that bone. Uh, But like you said at the top, uh, we are mourning the loss of Fred Akers. He was a a great man, a very uh, underappreciated man, as you and I both wrote in our columns. And uh, he's never quite gotten the due that was uh, should have come his way. And I'm so looking forward to, to visiting with our guests on today's podcast and kind of getting their insights about Fred Akers because he, he did change the whole black-white landscape at Texas for good, and uh, he deserves so much credit for that. Uh, as far as current situation, you know, we're seeing COVID creep, you know, is like, you know, uh, five tests with players and staff by UT on uh, Monday and the Sunday. So it puts his game in jeopardy. I, I don't know. Honestly said, I feel there's a decent chance it won't be played Saturday. It might be played next week. Uh, as you remember, Bob Bowlesby, the big 12 commissioner told us there are three and a half million clams, you know, riding on each game <laughs> as far as TV inventory. And as we know, that's not chump change. And in 2020, you better get that money if you can get it because it's just been a beast of a year, just a horrible, horrible process for everyone um, on the planet. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking they move heaven and earth to play that game. We know that Texas is going to go in there and work the Jayhawks. They're going to crush them. Tom Herman, the 20th ranked Texas Longhorns, right, Doc? Aren't they 20 now? Yeah, they're back in the pole. How do you, how, 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 how do you get rid of a guy that's ranked, Duck? I mean, uh, let's talk let's well, talk about the, the urban in the room. Urban Meyer said he's not coming back to coaching. So that means he's not coming back to Texas. So does that mean that right. uh, the Longhorns are kind of like that like that bad husband who strayed in his marriage and now he and that the Longhorn administration they he strayed in his marriage and now he's groveling back home, asking for forgiveness, going to sleep on the couch for a week or so. Is that how you get it? Because now they got they got to kind of massage Tom's ego. That is, Duck, if they still want Tom. What's your gut tell you on that? Well, let me ask you this, Ed. Is Tom Herman sleeping on the couch or is Chris Del Conte <laughs> sleeping on the couch? Uh, I mean, it could be a very crowded couch. Uh, that's a Barker lounger. You know, and, and to speak to the Kansas game, you're darn right Tom wants to play it. Six and three, seven three sounds a lot different. And from seven to three, they can get to eight to three. And then Tom has some leverage and some bargaining power. Like, really? You got rid of me at eight and three 
and I'm four and oh in bowl games and everything's looking pretty good in a pandemic year. So that's bad optics for UT. However, as you and I both know, said the longer they go without that public endorsement means they're still looking because if not, nobody in their right mind should let Tom Herman dangle and twist in the wind like he is now. And I think it's bad form for Texas to uh, kind of keep this charade going because you know, as well as I do said, if they announce in 10 minutes or 10 days that, Oh no, no, we're keeping Tom. He's our coach. I don't know what all the fuss was about. It's like the fuss was you guys were silent and you guys didn't come out and publicly declare your support for Tom Herman. And so until they do that, everything is still up in the air and probably everything short of Urban Meyer is possible. Why hasn't CDC done it? And this is, and uh, I should say this is as of Wednesday, December 9th at about noon. Why hasn't CDC done it? Right. Well, because he still thinks he can do better and he knows how much, uh, Tom Herman has uh, alienated the fan base, you know, right or wrong, and whether that's justified or not. And, you know, he still is sitting here basically through four years without having won a conference. And when you make $6 million a year and you're one of the top ten uh, highest-paid head football coaches, your expectations, you know, go up substantially, you know, after four years and not having won a conference title. And then how do you get the fan base uh, back. Uh, and I don't think you can get the fan base back until next year. And I don't mean next September. I mean, it would take to December and have Texas win a big 12 championship and then be in a CFP conversation or a chance of a new year's six bowl before the fans might go, okay, all right. Yeah. Tom's got it together because if they go six and O or seven and O said, don't you think a lot of fans are going, Oh, they'll screw it up. They'll screw it up. So we'd have to wait another 12 months before the fan base has something really tangible to believe Tom Herman is the guy. I can't remember a six and oh. I mean, that's that's some oh nine stuff we're talking. So I <laughs> it's been so long and we're not young anymore, good. Doug. It's been a long time. That's like Wolf Brand Chili. When's the last time <laughs> Texas went six and oh? Two thousand nine. That's too long. It's been too long. So I don't I, I can't even remember uh, yeah. those great teams. So because it's just been just a mountain of mediocrity. I'll give Tom this. He got them back on the winning track um, right. but so in a row. yeah and and so four winning seasons in a row after three losing seasons so the yeah. the arc is upward but is it an arc that's going to lead to special places and that's why when the urban meyer name came up that's why texas said hey we got to take a look in case urban's going to do this and so you said they think they might think they could do better. When you're talking about better, are we talking about James Franklin? Are we talking about Matthew Campbell? Uh, who are we talking about? Mario Cristobal? What guys do you think? I, I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm down for Franklin or Campbell. I like them both. And, uh, but but um, probably Campbell a little bit more because he has recruited in the South. And I don't know how much uh, – James Franklin ventures out of the Midwest to come down here. I know they all cherry pick, but I'm saying recruited heavily as an area. I'm, I'm agreeing with you. Uh, I'm a big Matt Campbell guy. He, he has recruited more in the South in Texas and he knows the conference and he could hit the ground running and he's younger and he's, his program's clearly, you know, on the rise, you know, they're, they're playing, uh, next week, uh, or the, I'm trying to think of what week we're in. Uh, yeah, next week for their first conference championship since 1912. You know, they've already beaten Texas and Oklahoma in the same year. So I, I really don't think they can get Matt Campbell. I love Luke Fickle at Cincinnati as well. I really don't think they can get either one of them because I think they're waiting on bigger, bigger options like a Notre Dame, like Michigan. a Michigan, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, I'm told that Fickle probably would not take the Michigan job. He's an Ohio State guy. But 
if he's going to be waiting for Ryan Day to step down or, or go to the NFL. Ryan Day who's like 12 years old. Yeah, sure. He may have a long wait, right? Yeah. So, you know, maybe – who knows? Maybe Franklin comes and Fickle goes to Penn State. I don't know. I I like James Franklin. I don't – you know, you hear things about his game day coaching. Oh, yeah, he's stuff. made some curious – Yes, he has. And and every coach does, but you know, Mac Brown has a lot of those issues as well. So the, here's the other thing that I would throw out there is just the fact they haven't had a press conference uh, acknowledging their love for Tom Herman and their desire for him to stay in the job in 2021 shows you they're still looking and it wouldn't even shock me said if they push this to late December you know, after the conference championship games. And, and you know, maybe then you look at somebody that's not as distracted, that's trying to win, you know, a conference, you know, right before them. You know, signing day, as we take this, is a week from today. And it's very clear Del Conte puts a little stock in trying to have an announcement before then. Uh, and he, he might have done it by now. Yeah, he, but he's, he's not pressed by, I got to have, you know, a clear – uh, perception of who the coach is by next Wednesday. Because I don't know how many they're going to sign off the top of my head, but I imagine they'll get them all. Maybe they'll lose one. Maybe they'll lose two. And this is too big a decision, you know, to base it on maybe losing a single recruit or, or two recruits. So, it, it, and again, it would not be fair to Tom Herman if they waited, but it also wouldn't shock me if, if, if Texas waited till way late in December. And maybe even look at an NFL guy. I don't think they can get Kyle Shanahan. I've heard John Harbaugh's tired of Baltimore and uh, maybe would like a new job either in college or the NFL. But I don't know if they'd have a shot at either one of them. But it just just seems like Chris Conte is still kicking the tires on some potential replacements. You know what? And it's tough for a a decades-long, decade-long NFL coach to come back and all of a sudden want to recruit. I just, I, I don't know that they, you know, Kyle Shanahan, Harbaugh, you get used to, you, I bet Cliff Kingsbury's having the time of his life. You mm-hmm. get used to waking up every day and knowing that you're going to coach grown men that don't have to be in class. Right. Football is their class and it's their livelihood. And there's a, such a thing as professionalism. So, um, I know a lot of college coaches go to the pros like our friend Matt Rule, um, and then some Some come back. Remember Nick Saban didn't get it done with the Dolphins and came back. And so um, I, th- I think it's going to be a college coach. But let me ask you this, Doug, because the thing that intrigues me is it's kind of a double-edged sword, uh, to, so to speak. If you wait that long and Tom gets to eight and three, Mm-hmm. You're telling a guy that just had his best season, technically, mm-hmm. that his services are no longer needed. And so, yeah, that uh, those optics don't look good. And so I don't think that they would make this move unless they had a guy like one of those guys we mentioned is mm-hmm. ready to go. And so oh, I agree. If you're talking about NFL guys. Uh, Kyle Shanahan's probably, I mean, Kyle Shanahan has got a chance to make the playoffs. And um, so, and so does, um, and so, and so will John Harbaugh. The, the Ravens are in place. So uh, you're talking about late December. It's going to be January if you're trying to bring in one of those guys. So I think the next hire is going to be a college But guy. you know what, Sid? Huh? But you know what, Sid? I could say, so what? So what if you wait till January? You already passed signing day, and we already know 95% of them sign early. And so December 16th will have come and gone. So – and, and they extended the dead period for recruiting through April. So you can't be going to high schools and, and going to visit uh, players in their homes and they can't come on campus uh, and be in the football complex. So there's an argument to be made. Like, so what if you wait until January 1 or January 31? It's like as long as you get the right guy. So, and, you know, Del Conte is all about making that big splash. And, wouldn't you think, said that the relationship between Del Conte and Herman has to be so strained it's and great. So stressful great. right now? I mean, how can it not be? It's we've watched this thing play out, and uh, I know 
the reporting has been very public and uh, we know what's going on. Urban Meyer didn't shut it down until oh, two weeks into this thing, three. Yeah. And, and all of the, and Tom Herman's left dangling uh, on at the end of a rope and he, and he's got to be furious uh, and, 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 you know, of course, Tom knows more than we do. For all we know, Tom and Del Conte, who they who he says they talk all the time, uh, yeah. they they know those two and God know where this thing is going. And maybe a decision's already been made. I don't know. But I know they're not going to part ways with Tom Herman without having a guy lined up. That's not the Texas way. Right. And, and you know, I don't think Tom has an idea that he's gone. He's got to. You know he's not dumb. He 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 can see the handwriting on the wall and know that that UT administration is not in love with him right now. Otherwise, the mystery would be you know gone. And you know Chris Del Conte may get missed at at you or me uh, for for writing about you know who they're going to get, who they're going to get. But then we fired back to Chris and shut it down, shut it down. You can see one line on Twitter, Chris, and say. Tom Herman's our coach. He doesn't tweet anymore. Well, he used to. He used to. The old Chris Del Conte. And, and you and I both know he can shut it down with the, you know, a single line in, on, on Twitter or a phone call. or Tom Herman know, is my anything coach. Anything I can. I got to say. Yeah. Tom Herman's yeah. my coach. Yeah, but he uh, – no, he's got to say he's my coach in 2021. We know he's his coach right now. Oh, yeah. Tom Herman's going to be my coach next year. He's not going anywhere. Yeah. And he hadn't done that. So it's like, you know, it's connect the dots seems pretty easy. So I still feel right now because there's so much, you know, water, you know, over the dam that I don't know how they come back from this. You know, you would think Tom's got to be ticked off and maybe he'd be looking for another job, you know. Now he's not going to leave six million a year on the table. Well, we understand that. But, you know, boy, if, you know, say Brian Kelly went to Notre Dame, and I'm not saying Herman would get the Notre Dame job, but – or Michigan. Brian Kelly left Notre Dame? Yeah. Or, you know, if Harbaugh leaves Michigan, you know, boy, if I'm Tom Herman's agent, I'd be calling the other, you know, Power Five schools and say, hey, are you interested in my guy? So, and who's to say that he hasn't? Yeah, who's to say? Because he doesn't share a whole lot, uh, same as Chris Del Conte these days. So it's still a mystery – and we just kind of keep kicking that can down the road until that, that damn can's pretty damn crumpled up. <laughs> that poor can. That poor can. <laughs> so, uh, Texas, maybe at Kansas to close out the regular season. It's a big game for Tom Herman. Tom Herman could go down as the very first coach in the history of mankind to put up 60 points in back to back games and lose his job. Now, those are bad optics for Texas, Doug. Those are bad optics. Absolutely. Absolutely. But that's kind of keeping with 2020. On second thought. True crime lovers are always looking for new and engaging content. The Already Gone podcast covers stories from Michigan and the Great Lakes region. Cases you haven't heard before, like the Mayo Hunters or the murder of 16-year-old Justin Mello. Plus, better-known cases like the death of Jane Bashara and Illinois' own Lori Dan. Already Gone started in 2016, so there is a big back catalog for you to enjoy. Find Already Gone on Apple Podcasts, Good Pods, or your favorite podcatcher. So, uh, we were, um, you know, we were, we, we were crushed by the loss of Fred Akers this week, and uh, we both wrote about it, and the, uh, the great Texas coach, and uh, we, ha- we had to get some of his guys on, and so uh, let's start it out with uh, a couple of all-time greats, uh, Tony DeGreat and Lawrence Sampleton. It doesn't get much better than that. How you doing, guys? Well, I'm doing great. Doing good. Hey there, Sam. Hey, what's up, Tony? How you doing? Good, just uh, – you know, bad hips. I have to rest it a little bit. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's I'm right, man. Rest those hips, brother. <laughs> Lawrence, I want to start out with you. Um, we we talked on uh, on Tuesday, and man, you, uh, I had so much information that I couldn't get all the great stories in into the the column. But you have to share with our listeners your first 
uh, taste of success at Texas thanks to Coach Akers? The first test, the first taste of success on the field as a player yes, in the game. Yes, yes. So, so yeah, I was telling uh, Cedric this story about my first game, and uh, you have to sort of understand that in our class we had 16 guys who went to the NFL. Wow. Uh, so when we were freshmen, there were only a couple of us that were even traveling on the travel squad. So that's a testament to the type of talent that was on the team when we arrived. And so um, I had been off and on with an ankle injury the first two or three games. And then uh, we ended up with the Arkansas game on the schedule and we're, we're planning the game. And, you know, for all practical purposes, I'll just claim this, that I was the first true tight end to play at the University of Texas. <laughs> Prior to that, in the era of the wishbone and the triple option and all those things, they were just extended tackles. Uh, I'll do respect to Julius Whittier, who claims to be one of the first tight ends as well. Um, I, um, you know, we're in the game and Lou Holtz is coaching um, uh, Arkansas and Arkansas had recruited me heavily. Matter of fact, the recruiter had camped out in Seguin and I saw him almost every day. So they had recruited me heavily. The first time I got on the airplane was when I went to visit Arkansas in Fayetteville. Um, but in this game, um, Vaughn Lugsby, who was the strong, weak safety for the Razorbacks, All-American, got hurt. And at the same time he got hurt, this was right before halftime, Coach Akers puts me in the game at tight end. I, I came in for less stuttered. And um, we ran a deep route directly at the replacement. <laughs> so this guy was fresh <laughs> off the bench. You got this tight end who runs about a four five forty, runs directly at him, and McKeachin rolls out. Uh, Joe Sheeran seals the backside, and Randy just lets it go. And, you know, I go up and catch this thing like a basketball and, um, and ran in for a touchdown, and that was my first touchdown. And in that game, I went on to catch another five or six passes for over 100 yards that day. And so that's how it all started with uh, with me and Coach Akers. And um, he just threw me in the fire. And I responded like a lot of us did during those days. And uh, that was my first taste of, you know, you got to be ready. That's what he always told us. You got to be ready. You never know when your, your name or number may be called. Well, Fred Akers wasn't afraid. He, he recognized talent. And he wasn't <laughs> afraid to put it on the field. Uh, uh, Early, early in their careers, Tony DeGreat. Uh, what do you remember about your recruitment and uh, your early years with Fred Akers? Well, uh, as I was talking with Cedric the other day, my mother fell in love with him. I mean, I think <laughs> your mom fell in love with me. <laughs> she didn't even know me. <laughs> <laughs> no, she uh, she really and enjoyed uh, <laughs> Coach Akers and. Uh, and I have to admit that I was quite excited that he was coming to such a small town of Snyder. I think the whole town of Snyder knew it too. And so, <laughs> because he flew in one of those burn orange Learjets. Nice. And so, and so obviously they saw that, but uh, my first experience was just what he told me, you know, he, he kept his word during recruiting because uh, he told me during recruiting him and coach Parker, that we were going to make you make me number 99. And, of course, he asked me, you know, did I know the uh, historical meaning to that number 99? I go, of course, Coach. It was Steve McMichael. Mongo. And I just remember him and Coach Parker saying, well, we expect the same from you. <laughs> I thought maybe that was a recruiting gift. But also at the same time, I'm saying, I feel honored that they would even consider me wearing that number. And so that was my first meeting with Coach Ed. No what's that? What's that? No pressure at all, right? No pressure uh, at all, right, Tony? Just be as good no, as no. Michael. <laughs> no, no, but uh, it was, but I was flattered because I couldn't believe sure. they thought that much of me. And uh, especially a kid from a small yeah. West Texas town. And you know what, Duck? Uh, you know, and it, 1984 Lombardi winner, just, just, just a beast in the middle. And you got to tell him uh, who you ate with and decided that y'all were going to come to Texas, that kid from Lubbock, Estacado, 
What about that? <laughs> that would be Jerry Gray. <laughs> now, we had played against each other since we were uh, uh, in junior high because they were, we were actually in the same district, and then they moved to a different alignment my senior year. But uh, we were eating that uh, Godfather's Pizza. You're and going. we both said to each other, we're going to be Longhorns. That's no doubt about it. That's love, man. That's love. We just, we just fell in love with it. Nice package. Nice package deal. <laughs> you think? <laughs> well, Lawrence, man, I, I, we talked about that 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 week that that day y'all spent out at the ranch at the Acres Ranch in Marble Falls, four, five, six hundred alumni, their families. Um, could you share with our listeners a little bit of of how special a day that was, uh, not only for Coach Acres but for his family? Yeah. So Miss Akers, uh, I ran into her um, at some function and she just said, you know, we want to we want to do something to get all the guys together. Um, and Lawrence, you're going to be part of the group to help coordinate this. And so it evolved into Doug and Deborah Shankel, um, Randy and Jenna McEachern, um, Alan Williams, uh, and numerous others that I may be missing right now that started to coordinate it a year in advance. And we had our dates and everything together. But it was such a huge response um, to us saying we want to celebrate Coach Akers and we wanted to celebrate him while he could still enjoy it. And so people just started to show up and, man, it was it was overwhelming. It was great. Uh, all of his players, former players, uh, even basketball player, Ovi Dotson wanted to come to it. So he came and Coach Akers formed this group called the Longhorn Loves, who was a spirit group who showed uh, football players around when they came to campus. And some of those ladies came. Uh, it was amazing to look and look at um, Diane and see the joy in her eyes. And um a couple of Coach Aker's granddaughters were there, um, and I spent some time talking to them. And they said, this is the first time we've actually seen our grandfather smile. Mm. And so he was so happy. And, you know, people said that this basically rebooted him to see all of these guys. So we all gathered for a huge photo. Uh, we all sang the Eyes of Texas. Um, we all had some excellent barbecue and just stayed out there and enjoyed each other. And people came in from all over. Jam Jones flew in. Uh, Sims was there. Uh, Brewer was there. Bedford flew in. I mean, there was people from everywhere came in for that. It was an amazing celebration. Uh, I have a Facebook post that have some photos from the event if you guys want to check them out. But yeah, nice. it was absolutely fantastic. I, I, I was there with, along with my wife as well, Lawrence, and uh, and you know, and back then it was hard for uh, Fred to talk, and but you know he still had those eyes that just took everything in, and right. I, I I just love the man's intensity, and and Robert Brewer just told us about how sharp he was all the time, and and how well dressed he was, and and he had such a firm handshake as well. Uh, I'm curious from, from both of you guys, did you feel like there were any misperceptions about Fred Akers uh, that, uh, that you guys got to see behind the scenes? Uh, either one of you, Tony or Lawrence? Go ahead, Lawrence. I'll let you answer. Well, um, Kirk, you were, you were on the beat back then. You know what was going on. Um, the first thing was you know, the University of Texas is a hard place to be a coach. And right. Coach Royal established, you know, you know, precedent. He, I mean, he just did a lot of stuff, you know, as a young coach coming in and evolved into this giant of a coach. Uh, and at the same time, you were dealing with civil rights issues and you were dealing with the 1969 team that was the last um, all-white team. Um, and then you were dealing with 1970 with Julius being the first black player to letter at the University of Texas. And then we didn't realize this, but we were on that campus eight years after that. And, you know, I would have never, that wasn't even part of my thought process when I arrived there, that I was there eight years after the first African-American player mm -hmm. uh, lettered at UT. That's not long. No. That's not long. 
And so Coach Akers, Coach Akers came back. He started in 1966 as an assistant, left and came back in 77 and had that great year with Earl and Brad Shear and all those guys, Alfred Jackson. And, you know, it was just amazing. So, so we're looking at that. And, and Coach Royal brought black players to Texas. And every black player that Coach Royal brought to Texas, I've spoken with probably 90% of them not a bad word about their experience, but their experience was basically they came there and they just, they were there. Coach Akers was different. He was a transitional figure. In my opinion, he, um, first of all, he transitioned the offense. He was part of that with Emory Ballard to transition the offense. One of the most efficient offenses in the nation at the time when he brought in the triple option and the wishbone. And then when he came back, he put Earl at the tailback position. And that was a monster. <laughs> you know, he put Earl at tailback and the dude won the Heisman trophy. I mean, you know, coach Akers was just one of these kind of guys. And I think that's something that people really don't get these right. transitions that he, that he made with people and with players. And then for us, his first class to come to Texas was just loaded with black players. And we didn't realize, but this was the largest number of black players to come to UT at the time. And not only did he just bring us there, he had mentors in the community for us, you know, Felix Garrett, Norman Mason, uh, Ron, Rod Stewart, Ron Stewart, uh, John Butler. I mean, all these people. And when we came to visit during our recruiting trips, he actually had these people available to talk to us and tell our parents, these are going to be their mentors. These are the people that I'm going to surround them with. So when you think about it, Kurt, and you put that in perspective, I mean, nothing like that had happened at UT ever. Yeah. And we had the most players. So we were a springboard to modern day football at UT. Yep. And we didn't even realize this, but it was the genius of Coach Akers and people like Charlie Lee. I mean, Tony said his mother fell in love with Coach Akers. My mom, my dad, and the entire Seguin fell in love with Coach Lee. And not only was it in Seguin, but it was in Ohio. It was all over the place. Coach Akers just put him out there and said, go get him. And he went and got Donnie. He went and got Sims. He went and got Sampleton. He went and got AP. He went and got Rodney Tate. He went and got Doug Schenkel, William Graham, Bobby Johnson, uh, Mike Hatchett. I mean, <laughs> I mean, he, he just went and, and these guys all, all these guys, you know, so that's the thing, Kurt, I think your original question was, what, what is something that just people don't realize about the man? He was, he was interested me, in you as a total person, wasn't he? Pardon me? He was interested in y'all as total people being well-rounded, wasn't he? He was, but he also knew, Kurt, he knew what we were going to be going through at this university. Right. You know, the, the Texas, the university had never seen a group of faces like that before in those type numbers. Those are big numbers. And, you know, oh, yeah. there were some crazy dudes that came in with us. So, you know, <laughs> he, he really set us up to be taken care of and had mentors right off the bat from the recruiting all the way through. And, you know, Felix Garrett, my mentor, he was a, he was a local principal. And so, you know, he was really, he called me a couple of times a week. He came to the games. He talked to me. So these were people we could bounce stuff off of. And Norman Mason, during the recruiting process, wow. I got a letter from Norman Mason every month beginning my junior year in high school. And I was like, you know, I didn't even know the guy. I'm like, who's this doctor that constantly writes me from Austin, Texas? Right. Awesome. So, so that was, that's the thing that I would say. Yeah. That's the thing that people don't really know about Coach Akers, you know, and he was dealing with this transition between, you know, how it is to follow greatness. Oh, yeah. Wow. And, and he, was with, he was dealing with that. And I mean, it's just hard. You know so, what? I, I talked to Dr. Mason on Tuesday and uh, he's, he's, he, he was great. Now, he, I don't know if you know, but he, he just suffered a stroke here not too recently. And oh, I didn't know. Yeah, yeah. So 
yeah, so you might want to reach out to him. But he's doing well. He's doing well. And and he said that I was in Fred's head and he was in my head. He goes, we spent many an afternoon. And I go, this is what you need to do with these kids that are here. You know, you brought them in here and this is how we're going to handle this. He yeah. was completely invested, invested in, in, in what you guys uh, were up against. Not only him, but Coach Akers. Coach Akers was 20 years ahead of his time with the worship thing. Uh, Tony, I got to ask you, and I know just a little bit on your recruitment, because I was talking to you and all of a sudden I got hungry um, because <laughs> you talked about your mom. She cooked up a, a big dish for, for Coach Akers and cooked up a big dish for a, another coach who, can we even say his name on this podcast? I think we can because he's been on here with us before, Barry Switzer. Uh, how tough a decision was that for you uh, with Switzer and Acres in your living room just a couple of weeks apart? Um, first of all, I want to concur with what Lawrence said, 110%. And the one thing that I like to mention about Coach Acres when you were talking about the transitional area, uh, I always said, because I'm an artist, that Coach Acres saw gray. And the reason why I say gray, if you mix black and white, that's what you get. That's what you get. And uh, I and I know this this is probably a lot of people are not going to believe this, but my whole four years there, I never felt the color of my skin being a factor. That's wonderful. Because Coach Akers, and along with the other coaches, treat us as individual, not based upon your color, or your background, or wherever it may be. We were treated as Texas Longhorns. Mm. And that's one of the things that always impressed me about Coach Akers. And Coach Akers, uh, you know, they said the form of flattery is impersonating someone. Anyone that played for Coach Akers will do his voice. <laughs> I'm sure you've heard it, Kurt. And Lawrence knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> that's because, you know, we really admired the man. And he was a genuine one, man. And he was a classy dresser, too. Yeah, you know, he was. We know about him. he was a classy dresser, and, and when you were talking about his eyes, Kirk, I know exactly what you're talking about. He could, you you could never lie to Coach Aikens because he would see right through it. And so oh, yeah. I was uh, truly blessed to have played for him. But as far as uh, the meals, my mom, uh, we actually barbecued for Coach Aikens, and I think my mom made Barry Switzer a roast. Oh, yeah. And as far as the decision, once I got to UT, I didn't tell you this, Cedric. I was a little disappointed when I was uh, on my recruiting trip. And the reason why, and Lawrence can relate to this, that uh, I, I thought they were called the Acres Angels that showed you around the campus. Right. I've heard that. And, yeah. And so, anyhow, when when I was I was waiting for my Acres Angels to show me around because the other crews had theirs. And all of a sudden, it comes Coach Akers. He goes, I'm going to show you the art department and show you around campus. He goes, you look a little disappointed. And I said, nothing against you, Coach. I, I thought I was going to get an Akers angel. He goes, well, you're stuck with me. Wow. <laughs> That's probably the one time in your life where you had the cards, Tony. You could have said, look, no, no, the great. <laughs> I'm sure there's some Switzer's floozies out there. Oh, yeah, but, but that, that uh, you know, once I got back home, my mom and dad explained to me, if he took time out to show you around, you're the guy. Yeah. Maybe something special. Yeah. Because I, I keep saying, reiterating, coming from a small town from Snyder, you know, which we won one game, you know, I, I still would ask the coaches, why are you recruiting me? <laughs> and he would just give me that little blank stare, like, why are you asking such a ridiculous question? <laughs> but, but yes, I knew once I visited Texas, and I it, guess what's funny is, Every other coach called that evening and said, are we still in the picture? <laughs> and I said, sir, with all due respect, I'm coming to the University of Texas. And then, of course, some of them were <laughs> gracious and others were rude, but my mother was on the other line. And one coach said, you'll never play there. Get lost in the shuffle. Oh, my no. My mom goes, why'd you recruit him then if you didn't think he was good enough? So, That's a really good question. That is a really good question. 
Right. So, wow. so, so it's almost like they knew yeah. that once I visited Texas, because the more when I was getting recruited, the more they started saying these things about Texas, I'm like, I want to see what this school's about for myself, yeah. you know, instead of just judging what someone else says. Awesome. And, and once I met Coach Akers and the surrounding community, you know, I knew that I was a Longhorn. And, and I'm sincere from my heart as far as talking about the, the black-white thing. On our defense um, in 1983, which I'm going to say, to me, in my opinion, is the best defense Texas ever had. No, one no argument here. Mm-hmm. Great. You know, uh, we had eight blacks starting on that. Hmm. And like Lauren said, that you didn't hear, you didn't hear that kind of thing. And so, when when they're talking about issues, I never even paid attention. I didn't even recognize it. Right. I just saw us, you know, just being Longhorns. Fred made it acceptable. Fred made it acceptable. He did. You know what? Absolutely. The one thing I'll say, and, and I know I know time's running a little short. Um, Daryl brought black guys in, but Fred Akers changed the entire complexion of the team because what you what you guys played, the teams you guys played on, are similar to what we see today. Uh, the Daryl teams in the in the early seventies are not are not the same complexion as what we see in today in the late seventies and their in the eighties with Fred. He he brought. He, I mean, Daryl recruited black kids. Fred recruited black classes, and that 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 was that was not being done as much. And um, you know, and I don't know that he gets the credit for doing that because it wasn't always. And let's just keep it real here. It wasn't always. Uh, people weren't all on board with the mostly black team at that point in time. America was still changing, even in the late seventies and early eighties, you're only a decade removed from the civil rights movement. So uh, there was still a lot of growth and I think coach Akers deserves a credit for that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Donnie Little could tell you that as being the first black quarterback to start here and some of the things he went through. So uh, absolutely. One, one other topic I wanted to touch on is how positive Fred Akers always was and just always upbeat and always, you know, wanted y'all to play with uh, confidence. And he was into that positive visualization in the locker room, remember turning out lights. And can either one of you speak to that? Like, uh, boy, he really wanted to get in, tap into your mind and soul to make sure you were ready and confident. Either one of you? Well, I I just remember the Lou Tice and uh, oh yeah, and yes, we did that before each uh, as part of our pregame ritual. Motiv- and, motivational uh, speaker, you're right. Yes, and uh, and it, it, it relaxes you. Sometimes Coach Akers get a little upset because some of them will fall asleep. You hear people snoring, <laughs> <laughs> so it worked really good. Before the Oklahoma game, you hear somebody in there snoring. It's like, but <laughs> 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 what's going on, dude? How can you be asleep? Oh but, uh, but I'll, 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 I'll piggyback on what Tony Tony said, and and these are things that for me these this was a life changing kind of situation. Uh, the power of positive thinking, the power of visualization. Um, you know, I still use this in my life today. Um, you know, and I tell people that you know, Coach Akers got us to sit down and think about an entire football game from the kickoff to the final whistle. And what could possibly happen during the course of that game? And then more specifically, what could possibly happen to you during the course of that game? So, you know, when you when you turn around and the ball's right in your face and you've already seen that happen 20 times during the week through your visualization, you're going to be relaxed and it's just going to happen. And so that's that's how he was. I mean, he really taught us how to focus and visualize and begin doing it on Monday. So it would happen on Tuesday. I remember, um, I think we were playing against SMU. And he used to go through the room and say, you know, Lawrence, what are you going to do, you know, tomorrow in this game to make a difference? And I remember he asked Lamb Jones that. And Lamb Jones said, you know, coach, I've been thinking all week about returning the kick. 
And he said, I want you to put me back on the kickoff return team. And Lamb brought the ball out of the end zone 106 yards or something for six points. After he told us he saw that and he was going to do it the night before. That's crazy. But that wasn't the only time. That wasn't the only time. And, you know, I know the time is short, but when we played Alabama in the Cotton Bowl in 82, we were down in that game, if you remember. We needed to put together a drive to win that game against Bear Bryant. That was Bear Bryant's last game. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we get the ball backed up on our 15, 20-yard line. We got to go 80, 80, 85 yards to score a touchdown to win it. Mm -hmm. And we had been trained. We had visualized a, a drive like that to win a big game like that. We talked about that all the time. And all the pieces came together. A big catch from me, a big catch from Donnie, a big catch from Herky. And then Akers calls Brewer over to the sideline and say, I want you to call another pass play, but I don't want you to pass it. So we come out of the huddle and everyone's running as hard as they can to catch the ball and it just opens up and Brewer walks into the end zone. I mean, that just didn't happen. We had seen that over and over. Coach had talked to us. So those are the type of things I think if you talk to any Akers player, they're going to tell you that that kind of positive thinking, and I use that here at my job. When I walk into different meetings or whatever, I've already I already analyzed what's going to happen in the meeting and how I'm going to react to it for the most part. And so he, he, really, he, he really taught us that. And I think that's what you're referring to, Kurt. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that Lou Tice, like Tony said, and coming in. And during the offseason, we would have – sessions where we would train with Lou Tice about this stuff. So he was serious. You know what? Well, one Ed, thing I'd like to add real quick, if I could, yes, sir. And follow up on what Lawrence said about visualizing. And Lawrence probably remembers this as well. Each spring, he would ask you to come in, talk about team goals, then talk about personal goals. And my going into my senior year, I came into his office, and he always had chairs that seemed like he, he was – 10 feet taller than you. <laughs> I realized he wasn't that big after I left, man. He always appeared like he was that tall. <laughs> He's a little guy. <laughs> and so when I when I came in, you know, I told him about the team goals, you know, win the conference, uh, national championship. And then I, when I got to my personal goals, I said to repeat all conference and, 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 and be an All-American. And he looked at me with those eyes and said, you left out one. I go, what is that, coach? I can't think of anything. I'll let you go, the Lombardi Trophy. Wow. And this kid from Snyder almost fell out of the chair. <laughs> but at the same time, I said, wow, coach believes that much into me. He instilled that in me. And like Lauren said, he instilled you in visualizing and thinking about those things. And those right. are things that I carry over in life. That's why I tell people, don't lower your expectations. Love them, make them as high as you can get them. Because the only person right. that says you can't get them is God. Oh, yeah. And so, and so that's one of the things I remember about. And I tell the kids that I train and work out is that story. And they're like, oh, my God. And I said, you got to think it. Then you got to go achieve it. And then it happened. And that's one of the things that Coach Akers really emphasized. And you won, you won that Lombardi in 84. And uh, I, I, ta- I was talking to Brian Millard on Tuesday. And uh, – Kirk and I hate him because he lives behind Mattel Rancho. Uh, I'm thinking of being going over and squatting in his house because that's my <laughs> spot. But uh, he he talked about using that visualization stuff even today. He said I took it into the pros with me, and I go I go did it work? He goes well it, well not against uh, Howie Long and Reggie White, but for against <laughs> most everybody else, it it worked out pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> Because they were visualizing too. Uh, yeah, no, they were visualizing. Yeah, everybody got visualized by them, I'm sure. So, but guys, it's been so much fun, man. Just, just a pleasure to to, to catch up and talk to you guys about this great man. And uh, we appreciate you joining us on the podcast. And uh, any closing thoughts about Fred Acres before we go? Go ahead, Tony. Well, first of all, like we've all reiterated. Coach, Coach Akers didn't get his due just. Uh, and to me, there was not a greater coach on this earth. 
and hopefully now that now he's not with us, people will really realize what he did. And uh, he's the one that uh, guided me along with the other coaching staff to, to the man that I am today. And I just want to say thank you, coach, and may God be with you. That's wonderful. Lawrence. Yeah, I feel the same way. Um, I've had a, an opportunity to get to know his granddaughters. I met them at that at that event, and man, do they carry some of him in them. Just beautiful little girls, outgoing, you know, not afraid of anything. Um, and Diane, you know, Diane has been such a trooper uh, over the past five years, and she has stood by coach uh, through all of the – um, things that he endured over his final final days of his life and 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 his daughters and you know he they she's had the heartache of of Danny they lost Danny early on so to the Acres family you know I I send you my deepest sympathy my condolences um, and I'm here to be supportive in whatever way I can Coach Acres I tell people. Um, <clears throat> Coach Akers was probably the difference in me being at the steel mill in Seguin working today and, and where I am right now. Uh, he really gave me, along with a lot of other people, an enormous opportunity uh, to attend the University of Texas. And he, he lived up to his word. He took care of us. Uh, he, didn't, he protected us in times that we didn't think he, he was. But he protected us. He took care of us. And like Tony said, he he produced some amazing men. Um, I get no better joy than talking to my former teammates uh, today as 60-year-old men and listening to them talk and getting advice from them in certain situations. Uh, but it's all because of Coach Akers. Um, he made us better than we thought we could be. Um, and um, hopefully we, we made him proud. Uh, to be our coach because we were definitely proud to be uh, a Longhorn and to be coached by him. Yeah, that, that's one thing. Wonderful words. Yeah, right, Tony. Tony. Uh, and Kirk knows this because Kirk did – he did the first interview that I ever did in Austin as a Longhorn. Kirk did. I don't know if Kirk remembers that. But uh, the one thing I am also going to do is dedicate a painting for uh, Ford's Coach Acres. I'm an artist, so some of nice. you don't know that. And so that's my that's my way of saying thank you for everything you did, Coach. That's lovely. That's, uh, that, lovely. that's just so touching. And, and you guys just – you guys are part of Longhorn Royalty. And Absolutely. This whole, this whole time we've been talking, I get chills. And, uh, and the same way I did when I talked to Diane on uh, uh, Monday night, because y'all are such a special group. And – and and said you wrote a beautiful column about it and it was it was a transitional time and he made everything acceptable and normal and you know there was no none of the infighting and the the dissension and uh you guys are just beautiful people and uh, and I know what an impact he had on your lives and so many other you know young men going forward and I and I can tell how you guys are sharing it you know, with, with future generations and which is important. I love, love Fred Akers and my hats are off to you guys. Thank you so much for sharing this memory. God, God bless guys. And uh, let, let's talk soon under, under better circumstances. Okay. Thanks, Cedric. Thanks Kurt. Really appreciate Thanks, it. Take care guys. Bye, guys. On second thought. True crime lovers are always looking for new and engaging content. The Already Gone podcast covers stories from Michigan and the Great Lakes region. Cases you haven't heard before, like the Mayo Hunters or the murder of 16-year-old Justin Mello, plus better-known cases like the death of Jane Bashara and Illinois' own Lori Dan. Already Gone started in 2016, so there is a big back catalog for you to enjoy. Find Already Gone on Apple Podcasts, Good Pods, or your favorite podcatcher. Duck joining us now is, oh man, one of my favorites. Uh, I don't know why it took us so long to get him on the podcast. Robert Brewer, the MVP of the 1982 Cotton Bowl, joins us to talk a little Coach Acres. And 
you know, Rob, Robert, we talked uh, the other day and uh, you just had so many great stories, but could you share the one with Kirk about the, about Belmont hall and you look down at the end and you see them coming your way. Yeah. Coach Akers had such a presence, you know, he was intense. Kirk knows this better than I do probably. <laughs> and we had a we had a long hallway there at Belmont Hall. In fact, Kirk will remember we had all the in YouTube probably Cedric, but we had all of the uh, framed pictures of the you know famous UT Letterman and Hall of Honor and things like that. So it was a really long hall, and um, we had some study rooms back there, but also the coaches' offices were attached on the other end, and so you know, you just tried to make it down that hall, which was about 15 yards without running into coach acres. And sure enough, man, he would walk whip around that corner and there was a bathroom right at the beginning. So you could dive into that bathroom. So you didn't have to, you know, so you didn't have to be confronted, uh, which usually, you know, involved, uh, you know, what class are you supposed to be in? And that, that, you know, he, (laughs) <laughs> but that's what a head coach is. That's the way it's supposed to be, right? I mean, yes, sir. He was demanding uh, excellence on and off the field, and that was what. I mean, no, nobody would question that. There was a little bit healthy fear there. Now that's a good thing, right? I think. I think so. I, I, yeah. I mean, uh, maybe I'm a little, you know, uh, long in the tooth, but. Uh, <laughs> I think You're I old think school. it matters. Okay. Yeah, Coach Bryant, I'll quote an old school guy. He said, yeah. you know, if somebody doesn't ever go to class and you know, he's making D's and you're always having to prop him up, that you said that usually shows up in a game and it's usually a big game in a bad situation, you know. It's just kind of a way of doing things. So that was Coach Akers. <laughs> I loved that about him. Do you, do you Yeah, think- he was he was always on what they write. Yeah, do you, he was intense. Yes, sir. You really do you, do you think history has been unkind to him because you guys didn't win a championship, Robert? Absolutely. He, we were so close more than once, and that's just the way it is. Uh, you know, obviously he came in uh, under the shadow of a legend, and uh, it didn't quite. You know, we didn't quite get there, and that is a shame because if you look back at three or four or five of those ten seasons he was there, we were right there knocking on the door. Mm-hmm. I mean, about half the mm-hmm. time. The last three seasons, it started to taper off a little bit. But mm-hmm. if you look at his first six or seven seasons, it was a little bit like, you know, uh, at least what Coach Brown did. And um, so, yes, I think absolutely he never really kind of got his due. Yeah, and that and that's a shame. But uh, you know, the other thing too that's kind of a misperception is the the offensive knock on Fred is that uh, boring, boring personality, boring offense. I mean, you know, back uh, in '80 when when you and Herky Walls were were hooking up, and and you and Donnie Little, the former quarterback, when he turned receiver before that. I mean, y- y- y'all in 1980 especially. Y'all had one of the most explosive offenses in the country, didn't y'all? Kirk, it was 82, and it was because uh, he hired Ron Toman, who had actually been the uh, uh, right quarterback coach for Joe Montana there at Notre Dame a couple of years before. And, you know, Coach mm-hmm. Toman used to kid me. He's like, God, you know, I had Joe Montana, and I come down here, and I got you, you know. <laughs> and uh, – <laughs> And, uh, but he opened, he, you know, coach acres, there was some validity to what, what there, some of that criticism was valid. I watched Donnie go through that. And I think that cost Donnie the quarterback job. I shouldn't, maybe that's a little strong, but I thought it was, he was in a little bit of a disadvantaged situation there because of that. And that's why we got actually the year before they had hired a Houston Oilers, uh, offensive coach Ron Ship, and that only lasted a year. And then he got Ron Toman, and uh, Coach Toman did, did you know, take it. They'd laugh at it today, but he did take it to the next step up, and it was better. I'm going to tell you, I, I talked to Donnie, and, and, and for 
you know, for what he went through on and off the field and coach Akers was there going, we're going to get through this together. How, 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 I mean, how big were coach Akers cojones to say, here's a black quarterback in, in Texas, uh, which had never had one and, and try, try and um, change the culture. Uh, even if it, even if it didn't prove uh, ultimately successful, uh, how brave of an undertaking was that for those two? Because you were in that locker room with those guys. I think that's a great question you raised there, because I think that's kind of central to who Coach Akers was. He, you know, he was um, adopted. Uh, grew up in Arkansas, and he was orphaned and then uh, adopted. And he was not a big guy, and he was playing in a big guy sport and whatnot. And I think. I think his upbringing and the things he had to overcome, I think he, I, although certainly understand is nowhere near the same as what Donnie was going through. I think he was sensitive to uh, Donnie's plight and, and others. And those guys, I'm telling you, our, our black teammates, they, 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 they knew that they felt that they, they loved coach Akers. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so of course, the white players, too, all of us did. But that, that helped our culture, I think. Um, and that doesn't get talked about too much. But, I, but his – Cedric, is a great question because, like you said, his cojones were big, mm-hmm. whether it was that or, you know, I mean, coming in after Daryl Royal, you know, he kind of those, – those two, quite honestly, were never quite on the same page. Mm-hmm. And uh, – you know, it might have contributed to some of the problems later on, but he had no problem with that, you know, which is, <laughs> again, big cojones, you know. Uh, so, and I got I, I to ask you about your, your Cotton Bowl run. Cedric, I don't know if you were even born yet when uh, Texas was playing uh, Alabama and uh, Coach Ouch. quarterback draw. And, uh, and I think Robert's still running, just straight up the middle. And uh, it was a 30-yard touchdown run right up the gut. Alabama was in a man defense, never knew what hit him. And I think some people talked it at like 12 or 13 seconds for him to go those yeah. 13 yards. Here's your chance to, to rebut that argument. <laughs> well, I, I'll tell you a couple of things. One, Coach Akers, you know, said I was doing a great thing. I was trying to score and run the, the clock out at the same time. <laughs> so that was good. <laughs> And then, uh, you know, I used to call Steve Hall to play Hall. Steve was a tight end that played for us from Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. And he had two huge plays in the OU Texas game. His freshman year, he made the block that broke Earl Campbell on the winning touchdown run. You'll remember that, uh, Kurt. Yeah. And, then, and then he caught the touchdown pass in 79 to beat him. Uh, down near the goal line. So I used to kid him and call him two play hall until he started calling me one play brewer. Right. So I never brought <laughs> that up again, but anyway, I wish I, I wish was, I could, I wish I could have heard the radio call of that quarterback draw. You'd have been like, he's to the 50. He's to the 49. He's yeah, to the yeah, he, Monday, Tuesday. <laughs> Monday, yeah. He got there though. Yeah. He got yeah, there. Yeah, I got there. And you know, it's funny, literally my thought, I can still remember what was so great about that is when I, I went back two or three steps, you know, faking a pass. And when I put my foot in the ground I saw Mike Babtek, their All-American tackle. He just w- tried to swim around Mike to the left side, which was perfect. And they had a blitz on. And so our running backs both went to each side. So it just literally opened up. And I remember thinking, just don't trip. That was my <laughs> thought the whole time. Don't trip because it was that open. Anyway, <laughs> that was just good memory. Played, so. Good memory. And I know your time. I know your time is short, Robert. I, I just want uh, – any last thoughts about Fred Akers and hey, is Charlie Brewer uh, that Baylor quarterback? You know, is he coming back next year? Yeah, well, I don't know. I don't know about Charlie. We've got a rule. We, you know, that if you're thinking about any of that, then you're not doing good for the rest of the season. So he's going to hit it hard here for about four more days, and then yeah, we're gonna we're gonna sort all of that out. But back to Coach Akers. Uh, I'm going to go back to that yeah. play, that touchdown play, because, you know, 
he called that. There's some people say, Oh, you know, I call and all that. We had, he pulled that out of the hat, um, in a high pressure situation. And it was true. I was not fleet of foot. And for him to have, again, the cojones to do that right there in that situation was, it kind of speaks to what, how gutty he was. He was an exceptional human being he was so sharp all the time you could tell he was an important person just by the way he carried himself the way he dressed the way he spoke um and uh he expected he lived like you know with a ton of self-respect and and expectations of himself and he exuded that to every one of us uh as players and uh you know Yesterday, the day before, a ton of phone calls with ex-teammates, and just the the respect for the man is uh, is immense. And I think some of that's kind of gotten lost over the you know through the years too. But loved Coach Akers, loved what he did for my life. He he's a special special human being that touched a ton of lives. Yeah, he really did. He really did. Robert, thanks so much for, for sharing some of these um, memories of him. He's just a terrific guy. Thank you. You guys do a great job. appreciate you having me on the show. Thank you, Robert. Thanks, Robert. Be good, man. On Second Thought. Doug, what, what, what a great show, man. This, this, this was wonderful. Um, I mean, uh, you know, the COVID is, is still running rampant, but we, we really had a great time talking to some real great people and some former Longhorn legends, some real Longhorn legends. So uh, let's shut it down. Uh, thank you, Robert Brewer. Thank you, Tony DeGrate. Thank you, Lawrence Sampleton. And that'll do it for episode 203 of On Second Thought. We'll see you next time for The Duck. I'm Seth Golden. You've been listening to On Second Thought, powered by Hook'em.com. Join Seth and Kirk every Thursday at lunch for a new episode. Archived episodes are available on iTunes and Google Android Play.